0: You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting. or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, You know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a J.C. softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, J.C. Softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like the, the 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 team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's. Contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring in little league anymore. as we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now nah, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hey, hey, I don't like it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first. Okay. Yeah.
2: Winning the SEC. Probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dog? That's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: hey, 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 hey! Turn you. hey, hey, Hey!
2: Hey! Hey buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate and the pirate loves
0: that SEC podcast. Hail State.
2: Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SECMike on Twitter, and I'm flying solo for this show. Tried to get Cousin Shane on the show. He's got family in town. so I joked with him, it's good to know where I rank in the family standings. I've lost another spot in Cousin Shane's eye. so... Everything's good with the big Tennessee homer. He should be back on the next episode, but hell, it's the offseason. He needs a break. We need to give him one. So didn't want to, you know, have a whole week go by without you guys having a podcast. Not a ton going on around in the SEC, but I got a couple items. I think this will be a pretty entertaining show. Got some good clips here. Survive the snowpocalypse. I'm just thankful to be alive. If you're middle Tennessee or Texas or Mississippi, all over the dang country, we got snowed in. I was right there with you. So now that I'm unfroze, I got some energy, ready to deliver a good show. And speaking about some energy, my God, have you guys seen this uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? He's got a new show. It's really weird. I don't even understand it. I got to be honest. I've not seen the show, but I've seen the clip that I'm about to play for you. The way I understand it, this is a show somewhat based on The Rock's life but it's set in the future when he's running for president and he's recalling his story. So it's somewhat autobiographical, somewhat fantasy. And, man, they went on a fantasy route here because they got Coach O, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, meeting Coach O down in Miami. It's the beast
1: of Bethlehem. i up, Coach O's How the hell are you, son? Welcome to miami football. Hey, you want some coffee? No <laughs> thanks, so I don't drink coffee. Oh, mm-hmm. me neither. I
0: chew it
2: straight to the All right. First thing I need to All right. So that actor was really laying it on there pretty thick. when He he missed the Cajun accent pretty bad. <laughs> but you just know that you're going to use it in a show like this. That's a, probably a direct quote from the rock meeting Coach O. And, hey, how about this? So Coach O was on the radio here this week after the release of that show. This is on ESPN Baton Rouge. 104.5 show off the bench. He's asked, What'd you think about this guy? And I should have meant, obviously this is audio, so you can't see the clip. That actor playing Kocho was about a buck eighty. I mean, he was he was looking like me in middle school. So he was a small, small guy. Here's what Kocho had to say about seeing the actor portray himself on this uh Dwayne The Rock Johnson TV show.
1: Coach, uh, I I gotta ask you because you broke the news on this show a couple weeks back uh, that you would have a character in The Young Rock. Have you gotten <laughs> eyes on uh, television, Coach O?
0: Yeah, man, we gotta get
1: that guy in the weight room. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you. That's exactly what I was saying. Bro. It's like, like what? Are he he was too skinny. I mean, come on! It was too skinny. We're, there were no
2: arms, no thickness to him. Okay, perfect. I feel better.
1: I feel better now. Yeah,
2: I'm glad we're on the same page yeah. then. Uh. <laughs> Coach O, man, he's in good spirits. The losing streak's over. It's all nothing but good vibes down there in Baton Rouge. These recruits probably ask about being in the blind side to the, some of these coaches. Probably not going to ask Coach O about being in the Young Rock, if I had to guess. Based on that clip alone, one other clip that caught my eye this week, Texas A&M AD Ross Bjork was on the Paul Feinbaum show here on Tuesday talking about, uh, if you missed it, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but the, uh, the NCAA has extended the recruiting dead period, which means coaches are not allowed to go out on the road to high schools, meet with prospects, and schools are not allowed to have prospects come by campus unofficially or officially, can't come to the facility, can't come to spring practice, can't come to spring games, they've decided to push this thing back to May 31st. And a lot of people pretty upset with this decision. Now we got a complete recruiting cycle with no recruiting. And now we're going into this new one. This is an important time, particularly for first year head coaches here in the SEC or new position coaches. You know, you want to you can still Zoom, you can call, you can text, you can do all that, but you're just missing out on that, getting to know someone if you're not doing it in person. So NCAA is doing a disservice to a lot of athletes and programs and all that, but hopefully, let's hope that maybe at the end of this thing, they end it and we, we kind of open things back up because as Ross Bjork said here, once again on the Paul Feinbaum show, they can manage this you know, within the rules and, and be safe and you know they're not trying to be careless with it. So I thought this was an important message here from Ross Bjork. Let's kick it over to him.
0: And Ross on that subject, I know I know how uh, how concerned you you have been and and how diligent uh, your staff and mm-hmm. the entire university and the entire SEC for that matter, has been about uh, protocols. And you were uh, in the news the other day when the NCAA extended the dead period with some comments and we haven't had a chance to have you, elaborate on that. Uh,
1: yeah. What are your concerns about what is currently going on? Lots of concerns, honestly. Uh, even though we've been able to recruit on, on Zoom and things like that, recruiting is the lifeblood of any program. And so if you're not able to, to have families and young men and women visit your campus and, and look coaches in the eye and talk to our academic people and, and see all the great things that are on all of our campuses, we're really doing a disservice uh, to those young people, let alone our programs. And so my point, my frustration, is uh, we've heard of kick the can down the road. Paul, the the can is at the end of the driveway, like we can't kick it any further. And so to further delay without any clarity on what happens, it's one thing to delay to May 31st, but what happens on June 1st? Where's the plan? Where's the clarity? And so that's really where we need to get to, and uh, those conversations need to happen uh, I'm part of a student athlete experience committee and we're trying to push uh, some things forward. And so that, that was really the frustration is, it's one thing to delay, but at some point in time, we've got to provide a plan and have clarity to the young people, to their families, to our institutions on what is life after a dead period look like? What is life after as we get out of, out of COVID and as we have more people vaccinated, we can safely host these people and these recruits and their families on our campus allow us to do that, allow us to move forward. And and so that was really the frustration um, between last week. And now we just need to keep uh, rolling out a plan and concepts and
2: and hopefully we can get there. Again, a really good point there. I mean, it's easy for these coaches and administrators to be upset with these rules and everything, but it makes a great point. When are we going to see a finalized plan? What's the plan when this ends? Because at this point, We're a year deep into this COVID pandemic and I've not heard any NCAA say, all right, here's maybe, you know, a first step to doing this or first step to doing that. And I'm talking about hosting recruits. I'm talking about coaches going on the road. I mean, I don't believe there's any information on any of it on, you know, maybe you can have a coach go to a high school, but maybe he can't roam around the halls. Maybe he has to just stick to the high school practice field or so. I mean, Just really basic things like that they could be outlining now. It doesn't sound like they've been doing any work towards that. Maybe they got other stuff to do, considering it's the NCAA. I doubt it. But, uh, you know, credit Ross Bjork here for lighting a fire under the NCAA's ass because somebody needed to do it. All right, before we go around the league, like I said, not a ton this week in the SEC. So I came up with, uh, you know, just something I wanted to throw by the audience here. You know, we like to cover as many teams as we can, so... Uh, any kind of league-wide idea, I'm always eager to to throw it out there. But keep this in mind, now that uh, Tennessee, they're one assistant coach away from having 10 on-field assistants, the rest of the SEC, we've got complete coaching staffs all across the SEC outside of one remaining Tennessee assistant coach. So I keep track of all this stuff, and here's the reason why. I like to you know analyze this stuff and Staff turnover, you know, it's not going to necessarily make or break the season to come. But check this out. Now, going back to last season, the 2020 season, the two SEC programs with the fewest coach turnover, Alabama, Florida, obviously the two teams that won the division, Alabama played for it all, won it all. So I'm not sitting here saying if Alabama had two coaches change or three, you know, they Wouldn't have made that historic run they made, but and maybe last season a little bit of an outlier potentially because of the you know the COVID and the continuity. That's something I harped on. I was hoping I'd never have to say that word again after saying it about nine hundred billion times last off season, but it came to fruition. But going into twenty twenty one, I think that could certainly play in favor of a lot of these programs. So here I'm going to break it down for you: the staff turnover. Now, again, I'm just talking about the 10 full-time assistant positions across the SEC, and we're going to go with the programs with the fewest, beginning with Mississippi State and Texas A&M. Neither program lost a single assistant coach this offseason, so that's something to keep in mind when you're projecting the season ahead, that Mississippi State, Texas A&M, they're going to have incredible staff continuity. It's pretty difficult to go an entire SEC calendar and have the same 10 assistant coaches along with obviously the head coach returning. So I like that when I look at Mississippi State and Texas A&M. Now next on the docket here, Georgia. Only one, one coaching change for the Georgia Bulldogs. That is promising coming off a season in which they had you know, an offensive overhaul with a new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach. I like that. Ole Miss, number two. They've had two, so they're next on the docket here. Not much turnover here for Lane Kiffin's program. Changed the defensive line coach, tight ends coach, one from each side of the ball. That could serve Ole Miss well. Here's Florida is up next. They have three, as well as Kentucky and Missouri. All three of those programs, three changes, but here's the difference. I know a lot of Gator fans out there wanted to see Todd Grantham gone. But Kentucky and Missouri each had a coordinator change among those three. Florida had, well, they had Brian Johnson leave. I guess you could call him a coordinator. He was technically the offensive coordinator. But we all know Dan Mullen down there calling the plays. So not a huge loss. More of a loss of a, losing of a great quarterback coach, in my opinion, in uh, Brian Johnson. Moving on to the NFL. All right, next year. Arkansas with four coaches, new coaches this season and one of them was already in the program just working as a, you know, an analyst. So I don't think it's going to be a make or break for Arkansas either because you got both the coordinators returning. They're in a unique position where the coordinators hold a lot of sway over each side of the ball. I think a lot more than any other duo of coordinators in the SEC. LSU was up next. Five coaches turned over this year, including both coordinators that Bo had to go. We've been saying we all knew that Bo had to go. And I think Ensminger. I mean, he did a hell of a job. They won the national championship. Let's not take anything away from the guy, but I don't know. I I think they could potentially upgrade with both new coordinators down at LSU this year, Alabama coming off a national championship. They lost six assistant coaches, one coordinator, of course, uh, Steve Sarkeesian off to Texas, but hell, Replacing them with a couple NFL coaches ain't bad either. So coaching turnover has never really affected Alabama. I don't think it will now. Now here's where we get to the staffs that are completely overhauled. Auburn, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Each of them replacing nine assistant coaches and both coordinators. So, again, this is part of the reason why I'm so low on Auburn. Nine assistant coaches turning over, two coordinators, same with Vanderbilt. Same with South Carolina. I don't think anyone's expecting anything from South Carolina and Vanderbilt. Doesn't necessarily make them the same as Auburn. Obviously, Auburn's a lot more talented than those two programs at the as of right now. So something to consider. And then dead last, cover your ears, shade. Tennessee balls. All ten position coaches have been turned over. So obviously both the coordinators as well. And On top of all that, I threw a lot of numbers at you. It's probably a good idea Shane's not here because I got a couple more numbers for you here. Returning passing yards, returning receiving yards, and returning rushing yards. I looked up all this stuff. And main takeaways from this, along with the continuity of the the coaching staff numbers I just threw at you. Here's my main takeaways here. I think Georgia's offense is going to be the best it's ever been in the Kirby Smart era next season. Why? Georgia's returning 94% of the receiving yards, 98% of the rushing yards, and JT Dale's 96% of the passing yards. All those figures were near the very top of the SEC rankings. Georgia, you know, I'm not going to say they're a juggernaut. I don't think they're going to be the next Alabama, the next LSU of last year. I don't think they're quite on that level, but... Hell, they don't got to be because the defense should be pretty good. It's always solid under Kirby Smart. I know it took a step back last year, but there's a lot of injuries. And just last year, it's almost like you, you can't throw out last year, but I think we're going to look back at that year, and I don't know how much is going to translate from 2020 because of how weird it is. But if, and this is a big reason why I'm saying Georgia to win the East, win the SEC next year, so much production returning on that offensive side of the ball. Say it again. 98% of the rushing yards, that's third third best in the SEC. 94% of the receiving yards, that's fourth best in the SEC. And 96% of the passing, that's sixth in the SEC. Now, a couple more takeaways here. Vanderbilt, I think, hey, I keep trying to pump up Vanderbilt. Here's why right here. Vanderbilt, 100% of the passing yards, thanks to Ken Seals and company, returning for the Commodores as well as 98% of the receiving yards that's best in the SEC and 93% of the rushing yards which is fourth in the SEC so again 1 1 and 4 for Vanderbilt when you're talking about percentage of returning offensive production from the passing game the receiving game and the rushing game obviously I'm not going to not taking crazy damn pills over here not spoken to wacky tobacco. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be some damn offensive juggernaut next year or anything but have we got some pieces of to, to build around here for clark lee and company i think the Commodores could be a lot better on offense than people are giving them credit for at least looking at all this stuff all right and how about this one texas a&m returning 96 percent the receiving yards that's second best in the SEC. As well as, a, you know, we know the outstanding trio of running backs they got. 85% of the rushing yards, sixth best in the SEC, but dead last in passing. Only 2% of the passing yards returned. So, to me, hey, I like Kellen Mon. I thought he did a hell of a job, particularly last season. And Texas A&M, it's been well documented. Should have went to the college football playoff. Didn't quite get there. But if Texas A&M can find a quarterback that can – replace the production of Kellen Bond. And, you know, here's the thing with Kellen Bond. He was never elite with his arm. You know, he had his moments, but it just wasn't consistent. And I think you can kind of get that with some of the guys they have on their roster, potentially. I'm not saying, you know, they're going to replace Kellen Bond's leadership and experience that that would be insane to say. But if they can just replace his productivity through the air combined with the receiving production and the rushing production they got coming back. I think Texas A&M's offense could be just as good as it was last year, which, again, it was not, you know, anywhere close to the SEC's best. But look at what the Aggies returning on defense with Mike Elko coming back. Texas a and probably going to have the best defense in the SEC. You pair that with what they had last year on offense, hell, maybe it's better. You know, we can't say at this point it won't be better. But if it's equal Texas a and is going to have another hell of a season, I think. Here's one for Ole Miss. 100% return passing yards, thanks to uh, Matt Corral, John Rice, Plumlee. 99% of the rushing yards returning for Ole Miss. So everyone's returning in that quarterback room and the running back room. But here's the issue. 10th in receiving production returning. Only 49%. We know Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa off to the NFL. So the key, obviously, for maybe this is kind of no huge revelation here, but if Ole Miss, they really need some receivers to emerge if they're going to be good, if they're going to be as good as they were last year on offense, I should say. All right, last uh, item here before we go around the league, Missouri returning 99% of the passing yards from last season, 84% of the receiving production, but all the way down here, thirteenth, only twenty nine percent of the rushing from last season. So that tells me that it's going to be the Connor Bazelak show, and he's going to have to carry this offense. And I certainly saw flashes from him last year. I'm not saying he can't do that, but I don't think he's shown that yet, which is. Going to be key to the offseason for Missouri is getting Connor Bazelak to take that next step. We're about to hear from Eli Drinkwitz, and that's kind of one of the keys to the spring. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind. Based on what we've seen so far from Connor Bazelak, it looks like he's got what it takes to be, the, be that guy. Certainly not saying he's not, but he's got to make that step. And if he doesn't, I think it's going to be a rough year for Missouri on offense, just based on that. So something to consider. On that note, Let's go around the league. Now let's go around, now let's the, go league. Go around the league. I'm, my my
0: daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna wear a hat from here on out.
1: I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I
0: think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us.
1: Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you.
2: All right, starting here in Missouri, the Tigers are set to start spring practice here on Friday. So they're going to be the second team in the SEC to kick things off spring football. The Gators are already underway, posting all their videos on Instagram. It's so weird to see. That's kind of where the coverage is at right now. But uh, hey, we'll take spring anyway. We can get it. Now we're going to have two of the 14 in the SEC by the weekend's playing spring football. So that's great to see. And uh, sticking to the theme with Missouri, so since we last recorded, they lost secondary coach David Gibbs. He has left to go to UCF to serve as Gus Malzahn's new co-defensive coordinator. But considering the fact that Missouri turned right around and hired Aaron Fletcher, former Tulsa secondary coach, to replace David Gibbs, get him in here in time for spring football. That kind of suggests that uh, Missouri knew this move was coming. Hell, maybe they even told him to go find another job. I don't know, but I like this pickup for Missouri, Aaron Fletcher, Tulsa. They ranked number two in the AAC and pass defense last year, two years ago, ranked number one in the AAC and number eight nationally. So you're getting a defensive backs coach that knows what he's doing. Tulsa, one of the more underrated defensive teams in the country last year, kind of off the radar there. So getting a good one there, I think. Missouri's got a full staff once again, and someone that probably Steve Wilkes, the new defensive coordinator. Remember, they got they hired a former NFL coach to be the defensive coordinator there at Missouri. He, I'm sure, had a lot of insight on onto who they were going to hire. So probably works out best that uh, Missouri's David Gibbs leaves, and here comes Fletcher into the fold I was just referencing Connor Bazelak and the big season he needs to have and that's something that Eli Drinkowitz hit on during his first press conference of the spring let's kick it over to coach what
1: what do you want to see out of Connor this spring and how do you want him to kind of value uh this time since you know when, when you usually when you work with a quarterback that has established himself as a starter you know the season before what do you, what steps do you want a, a guy like that to usually take in the springtime
0: well, the th- first thing we have to improve on is our ball security in the pocket. Um, the second thing we need to improve upon is our uh, uh, ability to throw touchdowns in the red zone and be a, uh, a more um, productive player in the red area. And then the third thing I want to see is be aggressive. I don't want to see him be reckless, but I want to see him be aggressive this spring and figure out, okay, I can throw these balls into this window. I can, I can put this ball here. I can back shoulder this one. I can fit it into that tight window and, make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Obviously, I don't want him to be reckless. I don't want him to be uh, careless or comfortable. Uh, what I want him to be is to challenge himself and, and uh, uh, continue to improve as a quarterback. And I think there's going to be, obviously, you all be out with some practices. I think you'll see plenty of times where we're going to challenge him.
2: So I hit on something interesting there. You know, Basilac had a solid debut, but uh, non-Missouri fans may not have realized you know, it's hard enough to start as a redshirt freshman in the SEC, 10-game SEC slate, no non-conference. But Basilac only had seven touchdowns, and he had six interceptions. So, clearly, that's got to improve. A lot of that had to do with the fact that Missouri was so loaded at running back last year, so not having to force the issue with the young quarterback, certainly by design. But that's, again, that's kind of why I'm saying – Bazelak is going to have to be the man. If Missouri is going to take that next step, and that's what, you know, based on everything Coach thinks they're going to do, that's what the fan base, hell, I had Missouri a little bit lower in my SEC East pro- projections, and my God, everybody jumped on me like <laughs> like Missouri's uh, the second coming here. So not saying that they can't be that, but they are ways off from that, and that's got to be one of the keys to the spring. Now the bigger team-wide issue, in my opinion, Is replacing so many leaders like a Nick Bolton, like a Larry Roundtree. And I think it's very easy to look at the stats and you know, the upcoming NFL draft when those guys get selected, and you say, well, it's just one guy, it's just two guys, it's just three guys. But then that adds up. And it's a lot more than just looking at their numbers and saying, okay, we got to replace X amount of tackles, we got to replace X amount of rushing yards, we got to replace this, we gotta replace that. It's that leadership on the sideline, during the games, off the field, in the weight room, all summer, all spring. And it's just a – it's a quality that uh, cannot be measured. And, again, I'm not saying Missouri doesn't have that, but those guys are going to have to emerge, and it starts in spring football. That's something Coach Eli Drinkowitz hit on during his presser. Hey,
1: Coach, I'm I'm curious uh, – you, you mentioned not having any glaring um, holes as far as the roster goes. Uh, you've obviously got some uh, some leadership um, holes to fill and, and big shoes to fill with Nick Bolton uh, heading off to the NFL in particular. I'm wondering how you see the, the spring helping you uh, start to, to figure that piece of the puzzle out.
0: Yeah, and I think this will actually go back to Gabe's question too. You know, obviously going into this past year, we were really worried about our defensive line having – you know, potentially nine uh, seniors leaving the program and trying to replace nine guys at at the front. And obviously this is a trench league. And so to have several of those guys come back while also being able to add junior college depth and true freshman depth is going to allow us to really try to be deep and competitive at that position. And that's that's the goal is competitive depth so that you can play with eight to 12 guys when you, when you sub in the second or third team, they're fresh and, and, and don't have a drop-off. As far as linebacker, obviously you're going to lose a, a second-team All-American, a, a guy that I consider will be a, a first- or second-round draft pick, and I'd be shocked if he gets to the second round. But uh, a guy who you know was a tremendous player in this league for several years, and so you don't easily replace that. That's, again, while it's about individual player development and each player finding their edge, um, we're going to have a lot of guys, you know, rep at that position to see ultimately who can be that uh, linebacker. Um, excited to see how the uh, 4-2-5 scheme that, that uh, Steve is going to bring in is going to, you know, amplify and allow our guys to play a little bit faster on the back end, knowing that they're just responsible for one gaps and a little bit more um, dialed in on, a, on exactly what their run fit is. Um, obviously, we're going to be adding some linebackers, some really good linebackers this summer, and so – None of these positions will be finalized until we give those guys an opportunity to be compete.
2: So I'm telling you, man, they keep talking. Nick Bolton, he's already a Missouri legend. I think he's going to be one of those guys where we look back years and years and say, man, we just didn't know what we had when we had Nick Bolton. Because you see it all across the SEC. When when a generational player like that leaves and you optimistic that you can replace him, it's not always that easy. All right, the last thing here from uh, Draco Wetz's press conference I thought was kind of interesting. You know, I praised Shane Beamer when, you know, he gave out his rationale for why they push back spring and all that goes into, you know, a new staff, getting to know the roster, new strength coach and all that. And I thought that was the right decision. It's a completely different story here from Missouri. So they're doing it early, obviously. And there was no massive coaching change. There was no you know, strength turnover. Uh, there was not a massive roster turnover. So for Missouri, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to get going early. And I I just really think that, uh, and he was asked about why they were doing that and all that. So I really thought uh, Missouri fans would appreciate this answer. seems like everything in the, the program under coach is uh, really measured. And this is just the latest sign of it.
1: I was just curious. Obviously, uh, this is is pretty early for spring ball, and you're getting done before spring break. But was there any particular reasoning that that you wanted to to move it earlier, uh, or is that that just kind of when you've done it in the past?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't want to lay on the beach worrying about spring football. So, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, there's there's all kinds of reasons why. I, I think for me personally, I've done it before like this, and I feel like it's a really good opportunity for your guys. One, you take the six weeks uh, they get back from um, what would have been our bowl game, but but they get back, they get six weeks to get their body in shape, and then you go straight into football. And once that's done, there's really four months of uninterrupted training that they get to change their bodies, and there's not going to be the wear and tear. Whereas some programs will go eight weeks, and then they'll spread uh, spring football over the course of six weeks, and then at that time they have one week, and then they got the end of the semester and you really only get two months of uninterrupted training. We're trying to maximize that time with four months of uninterrupted training. Give our guys a chance. If there's, you know, something unfortunate, uh, an injury or a twink day goal or something like that during spring, they have uh, four months to really get back to full speed. Um, And again, we want to try to create as little contact, but as long recovery as we can to really enhance player safety. Um, And so, uh, i think it gives a lot of a lot of flexibility to your staff and then i personally have never liked the idea i've never really enjoyed where you go practice for you know seven eight practices then you break and then you come back it's uh, if we're going to get out there let's let's get our mind on our own business let's go four weeks let's make sure we're improving every day and it's going to be a grind uh, but when it's over we can all drink mai tais on the beach and, and have a good
2: time so there you have it from coach and i think you understand why Night and day different from South Carolina. The situations, I should say, one Columbia to the next. So starting late, starting early. Makes great sense to start early for Missouri. Makes sense for South Carolina to start a little bit late. And I think the Tigers will benefit from it heading into uh, the 2021 season. All right, real quick, let's jump all down to Knoxville. Good, right. My God, we butchered this one last time, but defensive coordinator Tim Banks said his name wrong about half a dozen times. Last episode, Tim Banks. Apologies to Tennessee's new defensive coordinator landed from Penn state. So we already touched on that, but the staff around him is starting to come together. Secondary coach, Willie Martinez, Tennessee fans, Georgia fans know that name. Formerly worked for Tennessee under Butch Jones, worked for Georgia under Mark Richt and Georgia fans. Not a big fan of (laughs) Willie, but hell, they're not hiring him to be defensive coordinator here. They're they're hiring him to be a secondary coach, and last time he was in Knoxville, he did a really good job with that, I thought. You know, they didn't have any All-American type players, based on my recollection, but uh, the secondary was never a weakness during that period, and a lot of those guys went on to play. Hell, they're still playing in the NFL, and I'm talking three-star guys who landed a number of four-star athletes. For the Vols during his time, so I think this is a pretty good pickup. And then someone that I had not, uh, I had no idea who this was till Tennessee hired him. But uh, linebacker coach Brian Jean Marie from the Michigan Wolverines. He was, uh, I believe, he was only up there for a year, but he's been all around college football. He's been uh, an assistant coach under Charlie Strong for ten seasons, coaching linebackers. Going back to Texas, he was a recruiting coordinator. During his time in Texas, he was there for three years, twice signed a top-ten recruiting class as Texas's recruiting coordinator. So, you know, he's landed a number of elite linebackers, at least one five-star, many four-star linebackers during his time just at Texas. Uh, and like I said, he coached so long with Charlie Strong. He's another one, maybe not a great head coach, although he had a really good run at Louisville, but more of a defensive mind. Guy's widely respected. There's a reason Nick Saban brought him in last year. There's a reason Urban Meyer hired him this year to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, When you want to combine a great person along with a great defensive mind, there's not many that rank up there higher than Coach Charlie Strong. So if this Brian Jean-Marie was with him for 10 years, you got to think he's kind of in the same mold there. So it's interesting... We know Tennessee's getting defensive line coach uh, Rodney Garner. That's already been officially announced as a hire for Tennessee's defensive line. And they've got one staff position remaining to be hired on that defensive side of the ball to lock it up there. But the reason I kind of wanted to talk about these guys was just we're in a weird place here with Tennessee because Tim Banks, I learned his name, but it feels like all the coaches around him Better than the defense coordinator. <laughs> and I can't think of the last time we've seen something like that where, you know, I like this linebackers coach, secondary's coach, defensive line coach. Those all look like great hires for Tennessee. Tons of SEC experience. Ton of recruiting experience. Worked all over the Power 5 level. And then Tim Banks. I'm not trying to bury the guy here, but maybe I'm just looking at how much he's getting paid and what he's done and he's never called the plays Hell, maybe he'll be a savant. You know, he'd be the next Dave Aranda. But it's just weird that, uh, you know, it. <laughs> I just cannot recall for the life of me a coordinator that I've been less impressed with, however surrounded by what appear to be outstanding position coaches. Maybe that's what will help Banks become successful at Tennessee. Who knows? But uh, just a thought. And then moving on from uh, Tennessee's uh, coaching moves here, They've let three guys out of their national letter of intent that signed with Tennessee during the early signing period. This is a right move. Four-star linebacker Dylan Brooks. He was the highest-rated guy to sign with Tennessee. He is now out of the class. Four-star running back Cody Brown. Same deal. Released from his letter. And three-star lineman Jamarion Gooch. And interesting, all these guys recruited by Auburn. So Tennessee's class takes a hit before they ever suit up for the Vols. And speaking of Auburn, let's jump on down there. War damn eagle. Because that's where Dylan Brooks, he's already at. He's signed, sealed, and delivered. He's now Brian Harrison's marquee signee. He's the highest rated prospect now in Auburn's recruiting class. So Auburn gets a four-star, outside linebacker, pass rusher type, Dylan Brooks, going to go play for Coach Derek Mason. That's a hell of a pickup for Auburn for obvious reasons and then, add on top of that, West Virginia, defensive back, Dreshawn Miller. He was a starter at West Virginia last year. Grad transferred out. Now he's at Auburn. He's got two years to play. So credit to this staff, man, for going out and getting some players here that could potentially help immediately on that defensive side of the ball. They're going to need it. So, uh, hey, I at least like where that's trending for the Tigers. They've got a lot of room to improve, but – You know some solid moves. This is a good week. This is a winning week here for Auburn. All right. So that's all I got on this one. Like I said, not a ton going on going on around the SEC. Hopefully, uh, I didn't bore you to tears here without cousin Shade cracking jokes, cracking beers, and whatever the hell else he's cracking on the side here. But uh, you know, just wanted to. I didn't want to leave you guys without a pod for the week. So last thing I wanted to do was leave you guys without a pod. So wanted to hop on here, get the news out. Give you a little entertainment here for your commute, but uh, that's going to do it for this episode. And of course, you made it this far. Don't forget, leave us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. And hey, we've got a sale right now on the T Public T-shirts. Thirteen dollars for team-related shirts. Head on down to T Public. We've got the link to that in our podcast app. Just. However you listen, there should be a, a link there at the bottom that, uh, and on our social media. I'll tweet it out there as well. But uh, head on over to T-Public. Get yourself a shirt. Only 13 bucks. These are high-quality shirts. I'm wearing one as we speak. I really do like it. So, hey, that's going to do it. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks, Cousin Shane, for leaving me in the lurch here. We'll catch you on the next one.